Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen, and it is Thursday, March 23rd. Uh, we are pre-recording next week's March 20th episode as Fool.com contributor Seth McNew happened to be in town this week, and I couldn't resist inviting him, of course, to Fool headquarters so we can spend some time in the studio together. Seth, welcome back, man. Thanks. It's great to be back. Uh, I understand that you flew in from San Francisco this week to rub elbows with some power <laughs> players in Washington, D.C. So, what's the story there, actually? Yeah, yeah, you might say that. I, uh, I got to write an article last week about this new bill that was introduced to Congress called the FIT Act, which is for personal health investment today. Uh, and pretty much the idea of the FIT Act is that they're trying to make it so that fitness gear or preventative sports kind of kind of gear uh, would be a tax write-off, pretty much through an HSA. Mm-hmm. So, what this event was in Congress is... Uh, the association that's put this forward, called the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, had kind of brought some athletes uh, and other business people as lobbyists. So we were sitting in these meetings with senators, just kind of telling them why the bill should be passed. Of course, I was kind of just a fly on the wall in the back as these uh, different people were lobbying. So the core idea here is you can get uh, you know a health monitoring ban, for example, pay for that through an HSA, and as a result, because of the pre-tax savings, right, maybe save like twenty-five or thirty percent, whatever your rate is. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you can see like there's some fine lines, like what's really you know our running shoes. No, because they could be worn at work. Sure. But, like a, a Fitbit would be, you know, or or it's other things like personal training sessions, a gym membership, uh, and um, it, there's a limit, you know, a thousand dollars per year through your HSA. So it's not not too big of a of a change there. That's interesting. Um, so overall, I'm guessing, do you have a stance on this this bill? Like, do you support it? Think it's a good idea? I mean, it sounds pretty interesting, especially for a company. You know, if you're Fitbit or if you're Nike, you're obviously really interested in the fact that there'll be more accessibility to buy fitness gear. Absolutely. Uh, and just kind of the changing culture, I, the kind of the numbers they had put up about the rates of obesity, especially among children. You can really see why something like this would be attractive to, especially in the current situation where, you know. There's a chance that the the healthcare system will be changed. This seems like an easy split in there, uh, bipartisan. It seemed to be very bipartisan focused. I mean, there were senators from both sides that were supporting it. So sure. And you mentioned too, actually, while you were there, um, you heard some conversations about the big healthcare bill going through. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, this is the most interesting time to be on the hill right now. I think. You yeah. Know, there was just conversation, side conversation happening all over the place. It was a buzz. It was really interesting. Very cool. All right. Um, Moving on, though, so we got to get to our main topic for the show today. Uh, we are talking about some of the latest developments, news, and just uh, you know innovation that's coming through in the gaming industry. And though Seth, you have filled kind of the role of foreign correspondent sometimes from Macau and from Japan, visiting the newest casinos and resorts. In this case, we're actually talking about video games. And uh, for our to open discussion, I guess it, it's important to just give an I think an overview of how video game industry is in a very interesting place right now due to transition, uh, as I'm sure you'll discuss, from you know disc-based games, for example, and you know the stores that you used to see. I remember seeing as a kid in the malls like GameStop, Electronics Boutique, uh, you know those generally going by the wayside, and you know, with GameStop. You know, reporting down results, they're trying to pivot their business because ultimately you can download your game right to your Xbox or to your PlayStation. So, uh, what are the big, uh, I guess, takeaways or trends right now that you're noticing? Uh, things that are driving the industry. Sure. I mean, like we've seen with every industry, it, it, the internet just completely changed things mm-hmm. and e-commerce. And the same is true for the gaming industry. That internet-enabled consoles, more gaming on through computers, especially mobile, has really made it so much easier for for these game developers to l- deliver their content. Digitally, so you don't really need that hard, that plastic game anymore. You know, you don't need to go to a GameStop and buy a physical game if you can just download it right away. 
And this is great for the the developers because they're having higher margins. You know, they don't have to make that physical product. They can just create the game, send it out digitally. They're getting so much more on those margins, and they're also able to then upsell during the game. You know, these in-game sales that have become a huge part of their yeah, business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned developers. Uh, who are some of the big names? Like, who do you, generally I think of two guys, but. Who are the two big names for anybody who's not as familiar with this industry, um, in terms of leading, you know, with the most popular game titles, bestsellers? I mean, the two behemoths, as it's been for a long time, mm-hmm. is Electronic Arts and Activision Blizzard. Sure. And those are kind of those are kind of two to the games that to the companies that are really focused on gaming. You know, you have some of these other companies that maybe have gaming as a part of their company. These companies are all gaming, and they're the two biggest players in the industry. Uh, so you have Activision Blizzard is. Um, you, the maker of some 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 games like Overwatch, the recent Overwatch games, uh, World of Warcraft, so some of these really big names. Yeah, really big franchises. And I will add for Activision, uh, you know, some highlights. Just I always like to give people s- some scale in terms of the video game industry. Um, I found before that we started filming the show, the number of video game players globally uh, is estimated at about 1.8 billion, approaching 2 billion. <laughs> That's incredible. Amazing. Um, and I think that number is at least half now, or maybe even more than half of uh, the entire population that has you know regular internet access. So it gives you an idea of kind of the share of entertainment that video game uh, video games can hold. Exactly. Um, but ultimately, for Activision being the biggest player in the latest quarter, for example, uh, they reported over 1.5 billion dollars of revenue. With each of their major gaming platforms, so now if you think about gaming, uh, traditionally may have been if you think about consoles and of course PCs, now mobile gaming as well. So all three of those platforms over 1.5 billion dollars of revenue. And as you mentioned with those in-game purchases, which is so vital um, because it kind of really extends that revenue tail for a lot of these titles. Their in-game purchases hit a record 3.8 billion dollars, and that's growing at incredible rates. Absolutely, and. This is again kind of part of that entertainment share idea, which I really like. In 2016, the company boasted 43 billion hours of engagement with customers, which approximately matches Netflix. So, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't play video games as often as I used to anymore. But I know that myself, a lot of people uh, in my family, my friends, are big Netflix watchers. So the idea that you have that as an option. And then all of its competitors, of course, and then of course you have this entire other medium as well. It's and very this, interesting. This must be what the fitness people are talking about. This is why they need this bill pass. <laughs> yep. And then uh, for Activision across its entire portfolio of games across the platforms, 450 million active users, huge base. Um, and then Electronic Arts, uh, they've recently, in terms of big franchises that you may recognize, Battlefield One, uh, FIFA 17, I think was actually the best-selling title of last year, and they're making a lot of similar progress as their rival in terms of digital sales, now accounting for 60% of total revenue and enjoying a very high grade of growth. Um, and They have something that we will talk about more that I think is really interesting, which is their competitive gaming division, which is kind oh, of yeah. targeting esports, and uh, that's something that we can get to uh, when we get to some, kind of the future of what this uh, space in this industry will look like. And of course, talking about EA, we can't forget Star Wars, of course. Yes, of course. Um, and they have they have had a lot of success with their in their mobile space too with that Star Wars title. Um, but okay, beyond the two behemoths, like you said, uh, who are some other names potentially that investors can follow uh, that they might not recognize? 
Yeah, so there there certainly are some other players in this space. I mean, other than you know Nintendo and some of those other bigger names, you've got this company, Take Two Interactive, a little bit younger company than these two big ones, but mm-hmm. growing fast. Uh, it's especially recently they've had a lot of growth. Uh, this is the maker of games like Grand Theft Auto, uh, some other big titles that people will recognize. Sure. Another good company is NetEase. This is a Chinese media company, so it's much more than gaming. I mean, they have email platforms, uh, e-commerce sites, but their main revenue comes from gaming. Uh, they make their own games, but then they also distribute games. They have a, a agreement with Activision Blizzard to distribute some of their games, uh, and that's just growing a ton because just based on the the internet p- penetration rate in China, you know, most recently you have over 700 million people there accessing the internet. Much of that's through mobile. It's a great opportunity for NetEase. Absolutely, uh, huge market, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, as you meant, you just uh, you mentioned Nintendo. You know, beyond I guess the developers making the, uh, the titles that we're thinking of. You know, on the console side too, there's been a lot of news, and now we're kind of diving a little bit into I think uh, things that might be driving the industry a little bit, and saw also some rumors around new console uh, generations since the last uh, big release in terms of the Xbox, PlayStation. I think it was 2013, um, kind of approaching that time when usually we get a refresh. Um, but I want to talk first about something that is out now, which is the Switch from Nintendo. Um, so, this latest device so far, uh, from what I've heard from some friends, and also the inability, inability <laughs> it seems, for people to find these in stores because they're selling out so quickly, is yeah. doing quite well. Um, so, keep in mind that Nintendo right now uh, is in a position where they really, really want the Switch to succeed, especially after the struggle that they had with the Wii U. Uh, Just to give you some perspective, the Wii U only sold about 13.5 million units in its entire four years on the market, um, which for a strong year for a, uh, which for a uh, more popular console like the PlayStation, that can be maybe a year, year and a half of sales for Mm -hmm. them. So, in terms of lifetime volume, that's quite low. And compared to the original Wii, which even my wife, who is not a video gamer at all, she has one, and it kind of gives you a, that was the kind of console that really brought in a lot of new gamers or people who hadn't played video games since they were much younger. For example, original Wii sold 17 million units in its first calendar year, eventually topping 100 million units in its lifetime. And uh, you know, the PlayStation 4 at, right now has an installed base, I believe, around 50 million. So uh, the numbers that Nintendo's hoping to put up for the Switch, uh, management expected to move. About two million units by the end of March. Uh, some estimates say that 1.5 million units were sold in just the first week of its release. Um, have you w- w- have you uh, followed this at all? Um, seen any demonstrations of it? Uh, you know, what do you think in terms of um, how this can drive? maybe uh, competition with the other uh, major consoles, for example. Yeah, so at, at, the, at the beginning, you couldn't find a Switch in any stores. Yeah. They were sold out right away. So I wasn't quite sure. Maybe that was kind of you know a little bit of created scarcity there, if they were just trying to drive up some of the interest in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But it, so far, it seems like it has been selling really well. So maybe maybe that was just beating their own expectations there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, a report recently, uh, I forgot to add this, a uh, report recently from the Wall Street Journal said that management planned to double its production. So, uh, for the fiscal year ending March 2018, uh, volume, their production would jump from 8 million to 16 million, indicating potential first year sales of over 10 million units. And this is outperforming a lot of analyst estimates. I think initially, uh, for that first year of the release of this device, 
uh, some analysts were putting total sales at just in the four to five million range. So really blowing that out of the water. Absolutely. And from what I've seen, the only thing that's kind of holding this back from really uh, hitting that threshold and, and, and taking off and being a huge, huge success for the company is just titles. Right. And this is where I think the more established or you know the more well-known uh, you know PlayStation, Xbox have that advantage. In that right now with the Switch, the only game that I know of that's really drawing in people, it's called uh, Legend of Zelda: uh, Breath of the Wild, uh, and the reviews for this are fantastic. I think that the Switch console actually sells with this game to 90% of customers. That's how popular yeah. it is. And this was the game that they really marketed with the as they were talking about the device. This was the one they were touting as going to be the big game. And so, commercial. right now, um, otherwise, from Nintendo, a lot of their other major releases, in terms of those most famous franchise characters that they mm-hmm. have, which you know people have pushed them in the past to move away from console, uh, producing consoles and just uh, trying to monetize their very rich library of IP, essentially. Um, but they're not expected to release more games for like Mario, for example, until later in the year. I think maybe hitting the holiday season a little bit better and also just trying to give a, a little bit of runway so that they ha- can slowly build up steam. But I'm interested to see if that holds them back at all because, you know, even the best game, if you have only one title to really hold on to people at first, uh, we'll have to see kind of how that, how their momentum builds over time. Of course. And, and, and they do have a really rich library, like you were saying, but I think there's also the risk. I mean, look at Super Mario Run that they released for mobile earlier this year or last year. It, it didn't perform it as nearly as well as they thought mm-hmm. it would. So I think there is that risk. You can't just say just because those are the iconic names that the games themselves will perform well. But uh, I hope they do because I, I think that this could be a really interesting change for the gaming industry. Sure. Uh, okay, so moving on to, of course, the next big console player, uh, and this is Sony. Um, the PlayStation 4 Pro is currently it's already available to gamers. Um, so while the PlayStation VR introduced a bit of that technology to the platform, uh, I think the Pro ultimately adds some beefier specs and it also enables uh, some 4K capabilities, right? And the next step, of course, for Sony, and a lot of people are wondering about, is based on historical interviews between generations, we touched on this, PlayStation 5, potentially on-store shelves by 2019. Um, And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, An analyst at Macquarie Research actually believes the release date might be even sooner, and this has to do with competition with Microsoft, who we'll talk about soon. Um, But for Sony, just to give you a little bit of perspective in terms of how the PlayStation uh, business folds into their overall company. Uh, it's game and networks, network services segment, which includes the PlayStation business, uh, about $5.3 billion uh, reported most recently. And that's about one quarter of total sales. And so, uh, that potential PlayStation 5, which is not confirmed, by the way, uh, this is kind of uh, some rumors and speculation, but otherwise, if it does come out earlier, they believe it will be because of Project Scorpio, which is the project name at Microsoft. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so there, we're, we're still waiting to, to learn more about what Project Scorpio actually is. Whether it is it really an Xbox Two or is it kind of a next iteration? You know, we already had the the Xbox One S, so uh, we'll kind of see what that looks like. But similar, you know, we're we're seeing that it's going to have the 4K gaming uh, and the VR. Certainly, Microsoft and Oculus, of course, announcing their partnership. And, yes, and uh, I guess we'll see what what the technology looks like that really sets it apart. Yep, and uh, the release date 
is expected potentially later this year, 2017. I didn't realize it was going to be coming up that soon. Uh, poised, of course, for the holiday shopping season, always important for these guys. And in the latest quarter, again, for Microsoft, it's a little tougher just because it's such a uh, big business. And obviously, you're thinking about the, all these other opportunities they have. There's classic OS. But Microsoft reported gaming revenue of about $3.5 billion, total top line of $24 billion. Uh, for its latest quarter, so again, it's smaller, but it's not a trivial trivial part of the business Certainly. either. Um, ultimately, if you're looking for something in terms of uh, exposure for gaming, I, you know, I typically think, and I think a lot of visitors typically think of those major names we talked about: Activision, Electronic Arts, or Take Two Interactive, sure. for example. But it's definitely an interesting approach uh, that they have and they have some flexibility too. So, yeah, and I you know, you wonder if this is kind of similar to companies like Apple with the iPhone. How how long can they just keep kind of going to a next a next console and are they putting them out because there's the technology to support a new release or just because they're trying to break into that cycle of having a new one every couple of years. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this, these new ones that come out they really is some game-changing technology. And the thing that's really uh, starting to change too is traditionally, you know, if you, you know, the PlayStation 3, PlayStation, PlayStation 4 comes out for example, you know, the it might be backwards compatible, but you can't use your PlayStation 2 or 3 to play games released uh, specifically for the fourth generation, right? Sure. Um, things like that are starting to get warped, and you hear some of the management from these companies talk about how uh, you know that kind of that kind of paradigm is changing because of the fact of digital downloads. It can you know change capabilities and change what. Uh, you know, a, a game release means you know the idea that you don't leave any of your previous um, players behind by releasing a title, and it can be played across all these different consoles. Sure. So it's an interesting idea, and it's, it's definitely changing. Um, but moving on to, uh, I guess, two more things here I want to touch on that are potentially really driving growth here in the industry. Um, you mentioned Oculus. I want to get to virtual reality and save some time for that. But okay. esports is what really blew me away, and the reason being, you know, obviously it's March. We're in the thick of March <laughs> Madness. Uh, my team might be out as a UVA alum, but while watching that game, I was I could not believe I saw commercials for a Street Fighter V championship esports um, event being aired on ESPN. I believe it was. First time I've seen. I don't. Maybe I don't watch enough. You know, network cable television with commercials because I'm usually on Netflix, for example. But I was blown away by this and kind of made me realize uh, a lot of companies obviously pointing esports as a big opportunity, but I don't know the legitimacy there. I feel like anybody who's watching these games and sees that is like, what? What is this doing on ESPN, for example? And now uh, you kind of get an idea how big this opportunity is. What do you think about this? I mean, yeah, it's certainly like you were saying, seeing it on on TV. There's a lot of companies that are trying to play in this space right now. I mean, not just the the players that we've mentioned so far, but ESPN, YouTube, recently Amazon bought Twitch, which is known for its uh, kind of esports. Uh, but what I think is interesting here is that first of all, we should just talk about what esports is, which sure. is electronic sports. So it's essentially pro gamers that are playing against each other for usually a cash prize. Uh, and as you would imagine, there's people who are watching this. There's the fan base, which leaves open the door for advertisements and other revenue. Yep. And you know, you brought this to me, and I think I've touched on this uh, in a previous episode before. But some of these tournaments, uh, you know, <laughs> the the prize pools are not. Trivial at all? Yeah, uh, I mean, you're you're talking about prize pools of tens of millions of dollars sometimes. Yep. The most recent one was over 20, 20 million. That's, that's yes. incredible. 
And so, you know, as you can imagine, with that kind of money on the line, you know, you're going to start really attracting a bigger and bigger pool of potential people wanting to get into this and potentially in a professional manner, right? Um, but the thing is, uh, I was trying to get a sense of the scale for this. Uh, 385 <laughs> million people uh, globally in terms of uh, audience size for esports. Huge, have, right? Have you ever watched? Have you ever watched any esports or watched any gaming? Yeah, actually, I have, uh, but mo- through YouTube. So okay. I haven't seen it on television. Um, I haven't taken, you know, taken that step yet. Um, and funny enough, I have been to a live event before at the conference center here in DC, um, just out of curiosity to get a lay of the land. And it was for Pokemon. And does it feel like a sporting event, like with all the fanfare? Um, you know, you have everybody seated. It wasn't a complete, you know, arena with tens of thousands of people, of okay. course. But seeing people playing with the big screens, and you know, it. it I saw a lot of potential, and I can imagine that going to a full event uh, with tons and tons of fans in an arena, and you know, because this was more of just like a conference uh, for Pokemon, I can see that having that energy level that people might typically associate with professional sports. And so, 385 million globally in terms of audiences for esports. And the thing is, this is still really in its infancy, right? Like Seems really, like really early stages. Um, and I found a a study or an analysis that basically said, you know, the revenue for this market is not expected to break one billion dollars until next year. So the companies that are investing heavily in this, including Electronic Arts and Activision, they're not really making that much money on this, if any at all. Sure. But the idea is. You can attract more gamers. You can build more buzz and publicity for various titles, and ultimately, people are starting to say, like, "Well, 385 million viewers. Uh, some of these audiences are bigger than major professional sports leagues, like the NBA, for example. Does that mean that they can make more money?" The issue is right now, um, you know, by comparison, the NFL generated 11 billion dollars in 2015 from ticket sales, TV rights, um, sponsorships. So they have, esports hasn't even broken that one billion dollar market, and the problem is, I think ultimately, it's the number of events that you can have. Sure, um, you know, between NFL games at different franchises, the number of games played in a season, you have a lot of events uh, generating those ticket sales, generating uh, right uh, a lot of money from those TV deals. Right, we've heard about these billion dollar deals signed to air football games, for right. example. Whether we reach that threshold, that point for esports remains to be seen. But ultimately, um, it's definitely an exciting avenue. Anything else you've seen in terms of esports that uh, you would want listeners to kind of take away with? Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. That uh, how small it is right now comparatively. But I think it's interesting that these there can be new content that kind of drives its own leagues. So it might be to the place that there is just as as many opportunities to have these kinds of competitions. As you have different leagues that are devoted to a specific game, more games have more leagues, and also the ability to have these kinds of in-house ones in really any arena. You don't have to have an arena specific for gaming; you just need to have kind of a TV there. So, so I think it's possible that this could grow uh, much more regionally. Okay, and of course, uh, something else I've also kept in mind, and people stress too with esports, is that it can change as the technology we have available to us in terms of how we consume our media changes. Right? Obviously, virtual reality. Um, some of the first major con- uh, headsets or devices for that, the hardware for that, went on sale last year. And that could potentially, for example, change how we 
view a esports tournament. So let's move on to that because sure. obviously uh, a lot of the big players have been uh, putting money into this, and also people not typically in the video game industry. But you know, Sony has the PlayStation VR, so uh, this offering is supposed to be meeting management expectations. So this is a headset sells for sells for about four hundred dollars uh, for most of the retailers that I checked mm-hmm. before the show. Uh, I th- it was released last fall, late last fall, and. So far, they have sold about one million units, and you know, management seems very happy with the progress that they've seen uh, with this. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I think they they had a great advantage of kind of being the first console to really make this a real part of the console. Sure. And I I think it works great. I love being able to play on it. Uh, and there's a lot of upsells that they have with that too. Different kinds of controllers, obviously the games that go along with it. So I think that that it seems like it, it's a great opportunity for them. To continue getting revenue off of that release, yep. and obviously other companies now are following along. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, in terms of that dedicated headset, um, there are other two main competitors are the HTC. Okay, so the pronunciation on this, I've heard two different cla- uh, two different <laughs> thoughts. Uh, HTC Vive, HTC Vive. I uh, don't really mind either one, but let's just call it HTC. Their headset. Um, is also, of course, being compared a lot to the Facebook Oculus Rift. And these companies have not offered nearly the level of detail that Sony has in terms of their PlayStation VR. Um, but some people say that the VR, for example, is outselling the Rift uh, three to one. Really? In terms of some analyst estimates. Um, but ultimately, uh, in terms, again, bringing this back. You know what kind of impact is this going to have for these companies, their bottom lines, and, and, and their overall revenue? Uh, you know, a research group called CCS Insight uh, they put virtual and augmented reality device sales at 11 million last year, which is actually way more than you would think, right? We talked about console Certainly. sales. Um, you know, Nintendo with the Switch is hoping that. If they can hit 10 million, that's really a good threshold for them to attract developer attention, and, and they would be very, very happy with that. Um, so, but while that seems really great, and then the forecast of device sales might top 60 million by 2020, there is a caveat to all that, and is that the most of this volume comes from low-cost solutions. So sure. think the Google Cardboard, for example. Sure, um, or even even ones that are like the Google Daydream, the one they released for the Pixel. That's, yes, I think eighty dollars or something. Mm-hmm. But that has to be used with a phone. So if you're, that's really there's not a lot of technology there other than the screen that views the phone. So the you're here, you're talking about real headsets that yeah. have the technology to be a serious gaming solution, and you have the early adopters that have kind of used that. Obviously, these people so far, but I, I'm sure that here in the next couple of years, you'll see the prices start to decrease a little bit, make it be a little bit more mass market. And that's the big challenge, I think, with this technology in general. Um, a lot of people have said that 2016 kind of deflated a lot of expectations for virtual reality. Um, not that there isn't a lot of optimism behind it, but kind of like a reality check in a sense. Um, when it comes down to it, if you want something like uh, uh, what the Oculus Rift offers, uh, you need not just the headset itself, which costs anywhere from $500 for Facebook's offering. HTC's offering is $800, at least from what I could find on Amazon. And you know, in addition to that, you need a PC with some really strong specs and a very uh, high-quality GPU, for example, video card, to be able to even run these games. So, you know, at the moment, kind of like you mentioned, 
early adopters, although you're going to get early adopters, but otherwise sure. people are going to be very reluctant to shell out, you know, potentially over a thousand dollars for a dedicated system right. when the titles themselves are kind of limited to in the virtual reality. And space. as we talked about earlier in this podcast, that that's going to be a holdback is when you have the content that really makes people want to pay that much money, then I think people will. But of course, the other thing about the virtual reality is that is that you were still waiting to see what other industries it can be used for. So if people are already going to have one at home for gaming and it also works for something else, it might be more impetus to buy something, you know, if it, yep. if it works for more than just a game. The value proposition is, yeah. is easier it's it's easier to to shell out that kind of money. And the thing is at, you know, over time like anything with technology, it will get cheaper. Right, of course. And um you know, again, going so going back to that original number I mentioned, 11 million uh, virtual and augmented reality devices sold in 2016. Uh, if you go to those dedicated headsets, the ones that are hundreds of dollars, uh, much more sophisticated than just, for example, the Google Cardboard, sure. you know, sales at just over one million. So still really early, um, but definitely something I personally am very excited to see how that develops. Uh, anything else uh, from you, Seth, in terms of takeaways for people who are kind of thinking big picture about video games, be it esports, virtual reality, uh, you know, digital downloads, anything else? Yeah, I'd say especially we were talking about the the chips that go for your computer that that is going to power all of this kind of stuff. That leads into a whole other discussion of interesting companies like NVIDIA, for example. Sure. That's kind of making that technology that's really driving the technology behind the gaming industry. So, that's for a whole other podcast, but something to look at. Okay. All right. Well, it's great having you back in the studio, Seth. Thank Thanks you for joining me. Uh, that is all for us today. And uh, you can reach out to us and the rest of the Industry Focus crew via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or send any questions to industryfocus at fool.com. And don't forget to check out podcasts at fool.com for more uh, foolish content. People on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and for watching.